All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. America. Happy Sunday. Welcome to the Sunday Brunch edition of John Solomon Reports. Yep, the podcast from Just the News. What a show we got for you. We're going to keep on the theme of the special counsel, the Hunter Biden investigation. The author of Get Trump, the Harvard Law Professor Emeritus, one of the true civil libertarian lawyers in our country. Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz going to kick off our show. Then we're going to turn to Congressman Austin Scott, one of the key members of the House Intelligence Committee. He's got a lot to say about the state of world affairs under Joe Biden. I wanted you to hear that because it's really, really cogent what he is talking about and what has concerned him. In the third block, Dr. Harvey Risch has some big news to share with us about the state of the pandemic and the post-pandemic. And should we get those next booster shots? You're going to be surprised by what Dr. Rich has to say. That's going to be a great, great conversation. I think we'll like that a lot. In the fourth block, former ambassador Jeffrey Gunter, former Trump ambassador, he is now going to run for the Senate in Nevada. That is a big, big move for him moving into politics after years of being in the ambassadorial ranks. Jeff Gunter is going to explain what's different in Nevada and why he thinks he can win the Senate seat there. That's a big one. And then we'll finish up with my good friend Aaron Withy from the Freedom Foundation. He has a lot to say about the state of our schools, a lot to say about how teachers unions and Chinese funders are pushing the same agenda on our children to the detriment of this country. We'll finish up with that big thought with Aaron Withy. What a great show. We'll be back right after these commercial messages to kick things off with the one, the only Alan Dershowitz. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. 
You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Welcome back, America. Alan Dershowitz is easily one of the most prominent and consistent defenders of civil liberties in America. Everyone's civil liberties. He's a Harvard Law professor emeritus and the author of at least 50 books, including and one of his latest titled Get Trump. Alan joins us live right now to talk more on the legal side of the Justice Department's breaking news and what consequences the Bidens could face once thoroughly investigated. Alan, it's an honor to have you back on the show tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you. You you are so consistent across the board. So I, I wanted to ask you if you could put your yourself in the shoes of Attorney General Merrick Garland, if you uh, were serving in that capacity in this current culture where people have so many questions and skepticisms about the Department of Justice, a two tiered system of justice. Um, if you were if you were attorney general and you were trying to regain back the trust of the American people, would you have appointed David Weiss or someone else? Someone else, without a doubt, I would have followed the regulations of the department, which say that the person has to be from outside the government. I surely wouldn't have appointed a man from Delaware, where there's a lot of home cooking that goes on, the Bidens live in Delaware, who made a sweetheart deal that I predicted on your show would not be accepted. And he's going to want to justify that sweetheart deal. So he's not going to want to admit that he did anything wrong. Now, the potentially good news is because the case is being moved from Delaware, perhaps to the Central District of California, maybe he's found new material. I don't believe anybody can ever find material that John Solomon hasn't found. He is the digger. In. Uh, he finds everything. But if by any chance um, he does find something new and that justifies a superseding indictment, which is what we're getting because this indictment has now been been dropped, well, maybe we'll see some progress, but I'm afraid that we're not going to see it. 
with the current players. That's why I appreciate your prior interview. I really do think Congress has to pick up the ball here, especially since there was a violation of the regulations as to who got appointed. And Congress should call Garland. Congress should subpoena Weiss. Congress should ask Weiss, you know, there was a dispute what you had the authority to investigate. What we're interested in is what did you investigate beyond the gun charge and the minor tax charge? What did you actually investigate? And he's going to say, well, I can't tell you that because it's an ongoing investigation. And Congress should say, no, 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 read the Constitution. Constitution does not allow ongoing investigations to be a barrier to Congress's role as a check and balance on the executive. You violated the regulations, and we have a right to know why you did it, why you didn't pick somebody from a different state, somebody who's outside the government. There are hundreds of qualified people you could have picked. Why did you pick the man from Delaware who had already made what a court found to be an un unlawful deal? Yeah, you, you said that so well. And I, I think there's an interesting moment here moving the case from Los Angeles uh, to Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. That's where we're going to bring it. That's where the tax evasion actually occurred because Hunter was living there at the time. Uh, when you look at what we now know, we know the tax evasion went back to 2014. We know there are FARA uh, potential violations. His own partner said, of course, he was a lobbyist. Uh, we know that he was contacting Joe Biden. Uh, if you were the prosecutor and you had some of this evidence, does it seem like a conspiracy to evade taxes, take it back further, to violate FARA, and maybe bribery could be brought in now that uh, the case gets a reboot? It's possible. One has to look at the evidence. You know, allegations right. aren't enough in a court of law. You need hard evidence, right. credible witnesses, credible evidence. And, and in order to stretch the statute of limitations back to 2014, you need to show a continuing conspiracy with some overt acts committed within the statute of limitations. That will not be easy to do. Right. But I think the big question is whether they're going to go after Hunter Biden just to get Hunter Biden, or they're going to look to see whether or not there's a trail that leads further up. Remember, the law is clear. I had a case some years ago, right in the beginning of my career, where uh, the head of um, uh, a cable corporation, it was called Teleprompter at the time, uh, the head of the cable corporation was indicted and convicted of um, bribery. He didn't pay a penny to the mayor of the city, but he hired the mayor's son, who was not particularly qualified to be his public relations person, and, and gave money to the son. And the court said that was enough uh, for uh, prosecution of the father. Uh, and we know there are many other such cases. We know that in many European countries, and I'm an expert in international corruption, I do a lot right. of cases involving uh, foreign countries, that the way it's done in foreign countries is the president or the dictator, he doesn't take the money. He has the money given, in one case, to his fourth wife, uh, in another case to uh, friends. Uh, but as long as that person knows and in some way benefits from the payment, that could be bribery. I'm not for a moment suggesting that happened here. Right. I'm only giving you the legal analysis of if the evidence were to show that, that would be enough for prosecution, both under FARA and also under bribery prosecutions. And of course, bribery is an impeachable offense. You know, I'm very tough on what is an impeachable offense. Right. I defended President Trump because I didn't think that the offenses he was charged with were impeachable. But if you can prove bribery, it has to be while he was president. So that would create another 
problem because most of these things occurred uh, well, before he was president. But remember that Spiro Agnew uh, left office because he was going to be prosecuted for taking money while governor of Maryland, although apparently mm -hmm. the last payment was made while he was vice president. These are difficult and complicated cases. And I think all the Americans care about is apply it equally, yeah. apply equal justice. You know, the Bible says, don't recognize faces. That's the command to the judge. Don't recognize faces. That's why we have a blindfold over the eyes of justice. But today, there's too much peeking beneath the blindfold and too much depends on who you are rather than what you've done. And that's a tragedy for all Americans. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I, Alan, I love it when, when you throw it back to Jewish law and anecdotes. So, so thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, is, is there any way constitutionally that Congress could compel, induce uh, the appointment of a different special counsel? I don't think so. What they could do is change the law. And could they apply it retroactively? Maybe they could, but they should change the law and mandate that the special counsel has to be somebody outside of the government. Because if the, if the special counsel is within the, the kind of hierarchy of government, what's so special uh, about them? They have to report to the attorney general. The attorney general makes the ultimate decision. There's going to be a report which Garland has said he will produce. That's a good thing. Uh, I think that helps transparency. But um, Congress can play, can play a greater role here if they choose to. And I think they ought to change the law and require that special counsel be somebody who's outside of government. You can have exceptions, and maybe this case is an exception. The guy's worked on the case for five years, uh, but you know, a special counsel can come in and use the information, and he can also use all the assistants and deputies. That's it's right. just that a fresh new set of eyes is made by a decision maker who isn't part of the process and doesn't have to defend previous actions that have been made. That's what worries me most. I was very opposed to this deal when it was first announced. I said it would never be accepted. It should never be accepted. And now he's the one who's going to evaluate whether it was a good deal or not, whether he can reinstitute that deal or reinstitute the same charges and bring them to trial. That seems like the kind of conflict of interest that was intended to be avoided by the requirement that the person be outside the government. Yeah. Alan, I just want to ask one last question quickly. We're going to let you go. Um, the January 6th committee showed that you could do a good, well, not a good investigation, but you could do an aggressive investigation even when there's a criminal parallel investigation going on. That's right. There's a, there's a model there, and there's some good rulings in the district court. Republicans should seize on that, right? Absolutely. And again, the Constitution is what authorizes Congress to check and balance the executive branch. This is a case that cries out for check and balance. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Alan, you were the perfect last guest for us to have tonight. We appreciate your time so much. You always sufficiently cover um, these, these events, and we appreciate it so much. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Congressman Austin Scott, one of the great thinkers in Congress. I think one of the real most important players now in the House Intelligence Committee. He's going to share some thoughts with us on the state of American security right after these messages. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. 
the studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. He joins us from the state of Georgia, Congressman Austin Scott. Congressman, great to have you on the show today. Hey, John and Amanda, thanks for having us. Thank you so much for joining us. A very big day. Uh, uh, Joe Biden's been on a tour celebrating Bidenomics, and most Americans don't seem to be buying it. But you have an electric vehicle firm that President Biden championed. It files for bankruptcy, uh, even though it was the face of some of the green agenda. And meanwhile, a traditional trucking company, which moves all of our shipping guards across the country, also files for bankruptcy. 30,000 employees in, in danger of losing their jobs. Bidenomics doesn't seem to be working. You've been warning about this. It seems like some of the evidence is starting to become very clear to the American people. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, the yellow freight issue is, uh, you know, I think that's a perfect example of how if you give the unions too much control over a business, then, then the business can't survive. And uh, there's got to be balance between what's good for the employees and what's good for uh, the operations of the company. We all recognize that. Uh, but ultimately, a, bi- a business has to cash flow. And so uh, you carry that forward into what they've done with the electric buses and they can put out all the cash, all the subsidies they want to. Uh, but if a business can't cash flow because people don't want their products, then that business is not going to be, be able to survive. And so um, unfortunate for uh, the trucking industry that 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 uh, that one of our one of our biggest ones has gone down. It's going to be interesting to see what it means for other other people in the freight business. Uh, and, and I hope it's not a sign of times to come for uh, the transportation industry, but, but we've seen a huge shift uh, under this administration in what's right for the business as a whole, which means the employees as well, and what's right for unions. And if, and if this continues, uh, you know, you'll probably see more bankruptcies because, you know, businesses simply won't be able to cash flow. Yeah. Well, and you, you bring up a really scary aspect of this because Yellow Trucking, a 94-year-old company, and typically the longer a company is in operation, the more resilient and robust they are. They made it through the Great Depression. They made it through World War II. They made it through the Carter years, but they couldn't survive Bidenomics. And I worry about farmers across America and the connection to that with our supply chain, because if truckers can't move product, then the product sits on farmland, rots, and, and is basically destroyed or goes to waste. Yeah, that's right. And so, so especially with fresh fruits and vegetables, 
I mean, the timeline from when you when you pick that crop to the time it needs to actually hit the grocery store shelf is very limited. And so uh, we have to have a transportation system that, that functions and the logistics of it have to get the product there on time. And so when you take a major carrier out, uh, you know, as product shift, you know, you're going to probably look at increased costs of transportation because of, of less competition. And um, that typically drives up prices. And so, you know, we pay for that in, in everything that we do, including our groceries. And so uh, just like your electric bill, you know, when the electric bill goes up at your house, it also goes up at the grocery store where they're running all of that refrigeration. And just like your, when your gas bill goes up, uh, the diesel bill on the farm goes up and the diesel bill to get the, the, the product to the uh, grocery store goes up. All of those things are embedded in what we pay for as a consumer. And I will tell you, I do not sense that inflation is easing in any way, shape, or form in this country. Uh, and and the, American, the, the Americans that are out there working every day are getting pressed more and more uh, to make ends meet. Yeah, and it is really extraordinary. Sir, you've been one of the most uh, cogent voices in arguing on the importance of why we need to keep fighting Russian aggression, help Ukraine. But you also have warned repeatedly that Joe Biden hasn't done enough to explain to the American people what our strategy, our end game, what victory represents. Now we're starting to see a change in the polls. New poll out, 55% of Americans oppose giving more aid to Ukraine, uh, feeling like we've done enough already. This is a CNN poll I think came out just a couple days ago. I know you warned that the president was in danger of losing the public on this. How important is that shift? And what should the president do if he wants to keep support to change the dynamic? Yeah, this is this is one of those issues where the lack of a, of a coherent and consistent message is, is allowing the narrative that we shouldn't be there uh, to take uh, precedent over over why we are uh, sending our weapons and support to Ukraine. I will tell you that I do not believe that Russia was going to stop at Ukraine. If you look at uh, their influence in that region, uh, they already have a tremendous amount of control in Belarus. Uh, they're already across the border in, in Georgia and in other countries in that area. I do believe that Russia wants to control the Black Sea. If you look at the impact that that has on the global food supply and, uh, and inputs, everything you know from, from nitrogen and potash that, that we use in fertilizer to, to grow the crops here in, in, in America and around the world, uh, I, I will tell you the lack, of, the lack of the coherent and consistent message, I think, is the reason that Americans have shifted some of their support. Uh, I do not sense much, much of a shift from those of us who are on the Armed Services Committee or the Intel Committee and those who, of us who are actually seeing more of the facts of, of what's happening over there. Uh, but, but we have to have the support of the general public. And, and when you don't have a leader who's able to articulate to uh, the American citizens why it's important that we don't let an authoritarian like Vladimir Putin simply take over a neighboring country because he's going to take over the next one as well, uh, you know, it, it creates a problem. And so uh, I believe we should be supporting Ukraine. Uh, I, I think I think that the consequences of not supporting them and the cost of not supporting them ends up being significantly larger for the Amer American taxpayers long term uh, than it is in, in supporting them. And if we withdraw our support today, uh, I, th I think I think Russia would take would take over the country and therefore the Black Sea, basically. And understand this: we're not we're not as Americans in this fight alone. Right. Uh, we we are we are giving a lot of support to them, 
But there are other countries that are allied countries that are also giving a lot of support to them. And I would ask you to remember this. Uh, we abandoned our partners in Afghanistan. So the, these same NATO partners that had uh, men and women on the ground and equipment on the ground in Afghanistan, we, we abandoned them. We did not uphold our end of the deal to our NATO partners that were fighting with us in Afghanistan. And if we turn around and abandon them now, uh, the stain on America's credibility uh, it, it will take decades to overcome. And, and he's responsible for both of these, by the way. Congressman, I want to shift gears to something you've been really vocal about, and it is this strange dichotomy between the way that the Bidens are treated by the justice system and how President Trump is treated. And you tweeted out about this and something that was so remarkable to me that I guess has has come to me in, in the weeks since that plea deal for Hunter Biden fell apart. We all know why it did, because uh, Judge Narika asked just a couple questions because she saw something embedded in, in the last portion of this plea agreement, and, and we, were, we were two questions away from Hunter Biden having basically blanket immunity for this entire time period. Can you imagine if that type of plea deal was given to President Trump, the reaction from Democrats? Oh, it, it would be, I mean, they, they would go berserk. I mean, like, like they, would, they would have to put like, um, cushions up around the walls because they'd be bouncing off of them and they would have to bed if they didn't. Uh, but, but it is it is this double standard, Amanda, that scares me the most for my democracy going forward. And so, you know, it, it's I look at what they're doing to President Trump right now and and I look at all of the multiple avenues that they're trying to take to convict him of uh, a crime. I, I do believe, and this is just Austin Scott, I do believe that they will uh, at some point convict him of something, something like an obstruction of justice charge. Some, some, I, I think that their whole goal is to get a federal conviction of, uh, against him. It will be a procedural conviction against him. But ultimately, if, if they get a federal conviction against him for a felony, then they believe that the laws are going to keep him off of the ballots in a certain number of states. Now, what does that do to the Republican Party? It would send us into a convention where, you know, we, we would not have a Republican nominee for president then, and it would create tremendous chaos inside the Republican Party. All right, a little pandemic talk. Dr. Harvey Risch, the Yale epidemiologist, he's going to join us after the commercial break. You know what? He has some really stark advice about those COVID boosters. You want to tune in and hear what he has to say. It may surprise you. We'll have him right after these messages. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery 
to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Oh boy, here we go again. Just as we are closing out the last few weeks of summer and students are heading back to school or moving into college, we're getting fed those same COVID-19 headlines that helped misguide policymakers and decimate our economy. ABC News, CNN, Politico, New York Times, amongst many other nationwide uh, publications, are sending out news alerts on the new COVID variant and how hospitalizations are on the rise. But should we even be concerned? Well, we have a lot of questions for our next guest. He is the great professor emeritus of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health, and he joins us now, Dr. Harvey Risch. It's great to see you again, sir. Thanks for coming back on the show. Likewise. Great to be with you. Doctor, we are less than a month from Labor Day, which I think a lot of people consider to be the end of summer. And then comes fall and winter. And I remember for the last three or four years when we uh, are at the precipice of those seasons, they say, oh, there's going to be another COVID outbreak. And now we've got this FL.1.5.1 that, you know, it feels like this medical arms race, because every time the media starts telling us you need to be scared about this, there's yet another variant that comes out at the end of the day. Heading into this new flu season, is COVID just kind of an afterthought? Do we need to be concerned? Uh, COVID is uh, an, an infection that is still spreading at low but non-zero levels in the population. The FL.1.5.1 is accelerating faster than the, the, the variant that the, uh, the major media have talked about, e.g. Um, uh, five, I think it is. And honestly, I don't get excited over these things because this is virus is just one of virus, as they say. And this is what it's doing. And they will, <laughs> it will always happen. And and the, the and the illness that people are getting from this now is uncomfortable. It is not life threatening in general, but it is uncomfortable, especially for people who've been poly vaccinated, vaccinated more than once. They seem to be at risk of being more symptomatic and having less um, immunity from previous infections than unvaccinated people who've had COVID previous, previously. So it's an uncomfortable infection if you get it. It's generally not life-threatening for most people unless you have a number of comorbidities like the classic ones, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, chronic kidney disease, things like that. Um, and for what it's worth, it's treatable if not by the medications that worked in the first year of the pandemic, like hydroxychloroquine and, and ivermectin, by steroids and, and other things. And of course, people should keep their vitamin D intake up to protect their immune systems as best they can and vitamin C and, and so on that we've been recommending for three and a half years now. You just said something, and I, I know it's a truism because we have the data, but it still is hard to believe. But we actually made the population more vulnerable and more uncomfortable to COVID through our vaccination program. Am I misinterpreting what you said? No, I think that's what we've seen. You know, the studies in the Cleveland Clinic show that the more doses of, of the vaccine, the more boosters one has taken up through, I think, four or five, the more likely one was to get reinfected, infected or reinfected with COVID. And that's saying that these boosters are incrementally doing harm to the immune system in general, making it more likely that people will get infected. And um, this this is not a major issue, but it's an, it can be an uncomfortable one. That's what I'm saying, that this is yeah. not really a life-threatening disease for most people. 
And therefore, people should just learn to take it in stride like we've largely learned to take the flu in stride. We as a society have taken the flu in stride for f almost forever, at least in the modern era, and we don't much think about it. Some people choose to get flu vaccines, others don't. I don't think it matters all that much. The flu vaccines have become increasingly weaker in their, their abilities over time. We now know that the COVID vaccines, the boosters, provide very limited, if any, benefit for suppressing transmission of infection. So there's no real rationale on that basis. And because they seem to be increasing risk of getting reinfected, there's not any clear rationale for taking them as a means of self-protection rather than protecting others. So I think this is murky at best, and I'm not seeing a rationale for most people getting these these booster vaccines. And ultimately, if you're a high-risk person, that you should discuss this with your healthcare person. Dr. Rush, I think that Americans owe people like you a, a debt of gratitude for actually speaking the truth about all of this throughout the entire pandemic. Um, and it seems like that messaging is getting out there because the American public, non-medical public, seem to be getting the messaging, especially regarding the vaccine. People, you know, obviously, as they see their family members getting the common cold much easier after they've gotten vaccinated and boosted and boosted, they start to connect the dots. But it's been a little bit harder, I think, to drag the medical community along because I had my yearly physical last week and they were still requiring masks uh, in, in the waiting room and throughout the facility. And, and of course, they weren't in 95 good fitting, no facial hair masks. It was just whatever piece of fabric you could slap on your face. But my doctor, for the first time in three years, two years, did not even ask if I was vaccinated for COVID. She didn't even bring it up. Um, is that a sign that the medical community is finally starting to get to the place where the American public has been for a while? Actually, I think it's a sign that your doctor's fears have quieted down a bit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> analysis. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the way we're measuring the vaccine safety. It seems like we have these very arbitrary ways of determining whether something is a vaccine injury or a vaccine reaction and not, and they've been moving, it feels like, in my, my little layman's view of it, do we have a solid way of testing vaccine safety? Are we being allowed to read the data the proper way to make good safety decisions going forward? Well, I think attributing adverse events to a vaccine taken at some time in the past can be very difficult at the level of good scientific evidence. So if a vaccine if you take a vaccine and the same day, the next day, three days, four days, you know, a, a serious adverse event happens, one that is very unlikely to happen uh, in everyday life, then you're reasonably confident that it was related to the vaccine. Um, you know, things like comorbidities, as I've said, can play a role in some of those things. Right. So, uh, but the vaccine might still be the, the, the factor that put it over threshold to, to create the adverse event. When you get out to a week, 10 days, two weeks, a month, and so on, it's harder to attribute adverse events to the vaccination. However, we, there are still ways, but it requires more invasive types of evidence. So, for example, people who've died sometime after vaccination, when autopsies are done, one can look carefully for vaccine products uh, in the various organs that failed, that leading to the, the, the uh, event of death. 
and uh, and determined that the vaccine played a an important if if not causal role in the death. Uh, but that has to be done with autopsy. We published, this was Nick Hulsher's paper with Peter McCullough and colleagues and I right. published, well, I shouldn't say published, we submitted into a preprint server, it lasted for a day and then was uh, taken down. It's now up on the Zenodo server uh, paper looking at the entire literature of deaths after COVID vaccination and examining each case, each death in those papers for evidence of causation by the vaccines. And in that analysis of 44 papers, approximately 175 uh, people who had died, the uh, the pathologist and other doctors who reviewed all of the evidence in the papers concluded independent, there were three that did this independently and confirmed with each other in the paper that 74% uh, had died because of the vaccines. Furthermore, those deaths, 75% of the deaths occurred within four days of vaccination. So this is very strong evidence that at least among people who died post-vaccination, a good fraction of them, we could quibble about whether it's 74% or not, but a good fraction have died because of the vaccines. So there's an alter alternate way of looking at causation, but it requires real evidence. All right. Once an ambassador, now a U.S. Senate candidate, Jeffrey Gunther is going to here to talk to us right after the commercial break about why he is running for Senate in Nevada as a Republican. Big moment for him, big career change, but also a lot of excitement in Nevada about that. We'll be back with Ambassador Gunther right after this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody. Next November, there will be 33 states that will have a choice for U.S. Senator on their ballot. Now, 20 of these seats are held by Democrats, 10 by Republicans, and three by independents who caucus with the Democrat Party. And our next guest tonight is looking to take his experience as the U.S. ambassador to Iceland and as a dermatologist to beat first-term Democrat incumbent Jackie Rosen at the ballot box to become Nevada's next U.S. Senator. So joining us now to talk about his race is Ambassador Jeffrey Gunter. Mr. Ambassador, congratulations on your announcement. Welcome back to the show, sir. Hey, you guys. Such an honor to be here. Um, like we were talking earlier, you and your listeners are the tip of the spear. And we are really pushing this ball forward. And we're going to lead a red wave here to take back the Senate, to advance America for its policies. And it's going to start in Las Vegas, and we're going to work our way east. And uh, just so excited to be in this. Very excited to take care of the people of Nevada. Let's face it, Joe Biden's policies are creating suffering throughout the state and suffering throughout the country. Economically, Bidenomics, if you want to call it that, is not helping about 74% of Americans. We look at our border, 
We don't have a border. If you don't have a border, you don't have a country. Illegal immigration right. is destroying our country. Um, you know, along with the fentanyl killing our kids, it's unrecognizable. Right. So very honored to be doing well, this. And, and Nevada is a very interesting state because, first of all, I think it's winnable. But especially on the economic issue, Nevada historically has a higher inflation rate. And that's true right now than the rest of the country. Jackie Rosen was sold. She was billed as a moderate. But I don't think that that's the case at all. Uh, what do you feel like the public sentiment is right there as far as this particular Senate seat you're running for? I think people have had enough. They, they see that Jackie Rosen is just a rubber stamp for Joe Biden's radical policies. Think about it, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, what was that? That was hiring 87,000 new IRS agents to come in here and tax, tax the tips of our great hospitality workers here in Nevada. It's uh, inexcusable and uh, people are concerned about what they're paying at the gas pumps. When I came back from Iceland, we came back, it was two bucks a gallon here in Las Vegas. Now it's $4.50. It's, uh, it's tragic. It's terrible. It's a massive tax on our great middle class. And uh, that's what's on people's mind is uh, the border, the economy, the fentanyl deaths that we're seeing. As a uh, physician specializing in the treatment of skin cancer, I have many patients, first responders in law enforcement. They're saying that they're seeing two to three fentanyl overdoses per shift per night. And uh, this has to stop. Jackie Rosen is not standing up for Nevadans. Nevadan voters deserve better. They deserve more. And uh, I'm here to take care of them. The, the launch yesterday was incredibly exciting. We're getting great, great support from great people who are endorsing us. If you want to go to drjeffgunter.com, read all about all the great things we're doing. And uh, I'm, riding, uh, I'm riding in that American first lane. I'm a great friend of President Trump, the greatest president we've had since Abraham Lincoln. And we're all longing for those great Trump days, those days when we had 1% inflation, 3.5% unemployment. We didn't have endless wars going on around the world. Crime was under control. The border itself was being built. We were building that wall. And everyone now has great, great, I would say somewhat of buyer's remorse with Joe Biden, and uh, they want something else, and they want us to take over the Senate too, and help uh, President Trump do all the great things he's already proven himself to have done. So very excited, and we're getting a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, no, you could see that yesterday with the announcement, a lot of buzz right away. Uh, I want to ask a little bit about three things that Democrats have generally done better in recent years, appealing to uh, Hispanics appealing to union workers and getting out the early vote. All three of those are in play and can really reverse a state like Nevada in a big way. Tell us your strategy for addressing all three of those. First and foremost, yo hablo español. He trabajado con los latinos hace mucho tiempo. And basically what I said is I've spent a lot of my career working in the Latino community. Sure. I speak Spanish fluently. Uh, my spouse and partner, Heather, is Latina, and we cannot wait, we cannot wait to engage in the wonderful and amazing Latino community here in Nevada. Um, I, I have such great experience from my days as a physician delivering babies in the L.A. County Hospital 30-some-odd years ago to the Latino community. Um, you're 100% right. We have to address these issues of drop boxes. 
we have to address the issue of absentee ballots. And we're going to be doing that. President Trump has commented on that's a very important thing to do. And we can't look back. We have to really look at ways to solve these problems. Obviously, there was a lot of irregularities in the past, but we're going to look forward and we're going to win this thing and we're going to compete on that field as well. Mr. Ambassador, you were our ambassador to Iceland. You also are a dermatologist, and obviously, especially as a doctor, you have hands-on experience dealing with the people of your community, caring about the the strife and, and the troubles that they are experiencing. Talk to us about that connection between your experience as an ambassador and especially as a dermatologist and how that leads to a Senate campaign. Uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, I was born to take care of people. Um, from the, from the, I think my first job that I wanted to have as a young child was to be working in the ambulance as a paramedic. And then I had the opportunity to go to medical school, and I just love my patients. I love taking care of them. Here in Nevada, I've treated well over probably 10,000 patients, primarily skin cancer. And if you think about it, what a great honor it is to take care of patients at their time of need. And uh, I love doing that. When we went to Iceland, that's when COVID hit. And we not only finished the U.S. Embassy at the direction of President Trump, who understands the importance of having a new U.S. Embassy to fight in the high north, but we did it with zero COVID infection. We were the first U.S. Embassy to go to full remote workplace, and we were instituting a lot of the changes that I knew were important, because when I trained, we had HIV come out on the scene. So I had a tremendous, tremendous staff in the U.S. Embassy in Reykjavik, and we accomplished so much, 120 accomplishments in about 20 months. And we did it in spite of COVID and we had no COVID infections and we were very much engaged and involved and working hard. And quite honestly, you guys were paying your salary up there. The American people were, were expecting results from us. President Trump was expecting results and uh, we did it up there. So I'm bored to take care of people and I, I can't wait to do it. All right. I never thought I'd say this, but there are some very cogent voices saying that China and teachers unions are pushing a dangerous indoctrination together in the American school system. We're going to explain that with Aaron Withy right after this message. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm old enough to remember when unions used to be helpful to employees within a specific sector of our great American workforce. But these days, it seems like these once trusted organizations have become nothing more than a fundraising arm and activism tool that turns a very large coalition of people against politicians, people, and sometimes even against their own personal beliefs. And our next guest tonight joins us in his capacity as the CEO of the Freedom Foundation, an organization that works to free workers from unions that line their own pockets while pushing progressive political initiatives onto the American people. Aaron with great to have you back on the show. Welcome back. Amanda, John, thank you for having me back. Yeah. I wanted to ask you in particular about, well, AFT and NEA. Both organizations that I think are considered national and patriotic organizations, so they have a federal charter. They are supposed to oversee the interests of, of certain uh, aspects of education, and therefore you would think that their concern would be uh, to further American messaging in schools. But at the top of the show, we had Ryan Walters, the superintendent in Oklahoma, uh, who came on to talk about what's happening in Oklahoma. And among many concerns, he talked about Confucius Institutes and the stranglehold that they seem to have on some people within these organizations that, again, are supposed to look out for Americans, not China. Can you expound on that? Yeah, you nailed it, Amanda. These, uh, the NEA and the AFT in particular, the largest teachers unions in America, uh, they used to they used to be set up as uh, organizations that used to be voluntary member organizations. But now today, they're some of the biggest political organizations in America. And you referenced the NEA has even has a federal charter uh, from Congress, which I'm sure we could talk about a little later. But they've become anti-American organizations. They are pushing a socialist, frankly, sometimes communist agenda onto the American people and our most vulnerable population, students. These are the these teachers unions, the one pushing for progressive policies like critical race theory, like sex ed in the classrooms. And they're doing it off the backs of all these teachers across the country who they're taking about $1,100 a year from. It's a total scam. It's a total scandal. And that's why the Freedom Foundation exists, is to fight these organizations. He said something profound, the superintendent did, Aaron, that uh, teachers unions are aiding and embedded the Chinese and the Confucius Institute, that they're aiders and betters of planting an anti-American, pro-China, pro-communism agenda in our schools, particularly in urban areas. Uh, you've done more work than anyone to track and watch what the unions do every day. How much is uh, the our teachers really running a strategy, a teachers union running a strategy that kind of aligns with China's desires to have influence in our school system? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely does. I mean, the, the NEA and the AFT, I mean, China is their dream. That's what they want to push uh, onto our American students, because China is a is a state where the government runs everything. That's what they want America to be. They want everybody to rely on government for government services. That's why they hate uh, things like school choice, because it gives uh, parents an option to take their kids out of public schools. They want to be the ones indoctrinating our kids so that they will fall in line and push their radical uh, political agenda once they graduate from school. They don't care about educating our children. They don't care about preparing them for the next generation, preparing them uh, for the next stage in their lives. What they care about is uh, preparing them to be the next generation of liberal voters to push their radical ideology as adults. Mm. Aaron, I saw something pop up on my radar, and I know you have a better explanation of this because I'm just trying to figure out the connection 
between taxpayers funding government payrolls and then the further connection to labor unions. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so in most states across the country, uh, governments are deducting union dues from public employees' paychecks. Um, it's, it's not right. It's basically the government acting as the union's debt collectors. So what we've been advocating for in states across America is to get the government out the business of taking union dues from public employees and making it so if public employees want to be members of unions, they absolutely can, but they need to write a check to these organizations or they need to give them their credit card information. So we successfully passed bills in both Arkansas and Florida and Tennessee and Kentucky both, both followed suits and passed similar bills. We've now also been working with uh, Representative Fitzgerald in Congress to introduce what we call uh, the Student Act, uh, which, which is basically a piece of legislation that uh, challenges the national education's federal charter and uh, puts strings to what uh, they can and can't do. And one of the things that has been introduced there is uh, banning the government across the country from deducting union dues for National Education Association members. And the reason the unions hate this is because they know when uh, public employees, when teachers are given the option uh, to not pay union dues, when they actually have to give them the credit card information, they leave the unions in droves. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what happens. The data is there to show it. Um, when we were in school, we learned Shakespeare. To be or not to be. And now the question is, I ask, can we reform these or do we not even try to reform the NEA? Do you think reform is possible or do we need to start a, a rival just as large as the NEA and ATF to, to, to make a difference in America? The problem is with these unions is they've become so big, they're basically monopolies in America. I mean, collectively, they are a monopoly. Um, and they've made it so that it's very difficult to, cre uh, very difficult to create uh, new associations that simply represent the best interests of teachers. So take the National Education Association, for example. They spend just 7.5% of their annual budget on, actually re on actual representational activities meaning they only spend 7.5% of their budget on what they actually exist to do. The rest of that money is spent on benefits their own leadership, and then most of it is spent on gifts to nonprofits, lobbying, and political investments. So these are now inherently political organizations that exist to do political work almost exclusively. So what we would advocate for is creating local associations that spend 100% of their dues dollars on actually representing teachers. We would advocate for those policies because what it does is it allows teachers to be part of unions if they want to, but it means that they're actually getting a benefit for their, uh, for their dollars, not what they're getting today, which is basically zero benefit from these big unions. Right. Aaron, we've just got 30 seconds left. I wanted to ask you, did COVID create a climate where more teachers seem to be a little bit more amenable to the idea of leaving these unions? Yes, absolutely. Co the teachers unions overplayed their hand. Uh, they made it so that they exposed their policies like CRT and sex ed. They kept our schools closed. Yeah. They masked our kids. Most teachers didn't agree with it. And in the last five years, we've seen over 700,000 public employees leave their unions. All right, folks, that wraps up the Sunday edition of John Solomon Reports. What a week. It's going to get even crazier next week. Buckle your seatbelt. But a lot ahead, ahead of us in the days and weeks ahead. We will be glad to take you through the journey of this very busy, hot, and I think tipping point summer in Washington, D.C. Yes, the Biden presidency hangs in the balance. And so do 
the Republican promises of whether they're going to deliver for the American people being decided before our eyes, even in the dead of summer. Next week, we'll have that covered. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow, Monday, with more of our regular programming. God bless you. Good night. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.